Hello and welcome to another episode of My Favorite Trees. My name is Thomas and I love trees. This Sunday evening, October 9th, marks the beginning of Sukkot. Sukkot is a Jewish holiday that commemorates the 40 years that Jews spent traveling through the desert in search of the promised land, Israel. Despite not being Jewish myself, there are a couple of Jewish holidays I like to talk about on this show because they involve trees. There's Tu Bishvat, or Tree New Year, which makes use of a collection of trees and other food plants known as the Seven Species. And then there's Sukkot, the celebration of which involves another collection of trees known as the Four Species. These four species are usually considered to be citron, willow, myrtle, and date palm. I made an episode about Sukkot last year where I covered the citron, and I covered the willow in its own separate episode. For Sukkot this year, I'm talking about the date palm. Date palms are considered to be one of the oldest tree crops cultivated by humans, next to some nut trees as well as pomegranates and apples. They're not quite so internationally commonplace as those other crops, but dates remain hugely important in the economy and food culture of the Middle East and its neighboring regions. And alongside this long-standing food culture, these fruits hold deep and extensive significance in the major Abrahamic religions of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. So while the Jewish world begins constructing their Sukkot, let's learn how this desert plant helped construct our modern belief systems. is not the first palm I have covered on this show. I've also talked about the coconut tree and the walking palm, but let's go over palms as a whole before talking about what makes this one unique. Palm trees belong to the massive palm family, known scientifically as Aracaceae. When I say massive, I'm talking around 2,600 different species of palms. And the big twist with this family is that none of them are technically trees. Without getting too much into the science, palms are a type of plant that is more closely related to grasses than they are to oaks or pines or any other quote-unquote woody plant. I still choose to talk about them though because the definition of what a tree is can be ambiguous at times. Some botanists will argue that tree is just a type of plant shape that has nothing to do with genetic or evolutionary background, regardless of whether or not that plant has a woody structure. I'm not here to weigh in on that argument, and I'd rather talk about how palms have influenced human culture than deny their right to be included on this show based on rules. Back to the date palm. Considering how big the palm family is, it shouldn't be much of a surprise that this species is not too closely related to the other two palms I've talked about. Dates are found in the genus known as Phoenix. This isn't in reference to the mythical bird, but rather to the ancient Phoenicians, an empire of maritime traders that introduced southern Europe to the plant thousands of years ago. There are around 14 species in the Phoenix genus, but our domesticated date palm is a single species known in Latin as Phoenix dactylifera. Cool name, kinda sounds like a dinosaur. That species dactylifera translates to date-bearing, that common name date comes from the Greek word meaning finger. 
Putting all that together, the date palm's scientific name really means the Phoenician finger tree. Why fingers? We'll start with a description of the fruit. The Greeks apparently thought dates looked like fingers, though I would more readily describe them as long, reddish-brown olives, because that's less weird. Like olives, dates are droops, more commonly referred to as stone fruits, with a fleshy exterior and a pit in the middle that encases the seed. Other stone fruits include cherries and peaches and similar stuff like that. Quick side tangent about date seeds. They are a thing known as orthodox seeds. Orthodox seeds are special because when properly dried or frozen, they can survive and remain viable for a very long time. The oldest known orthodox seed was a date seed that was radiocarbon dated to be 2,000 years old. The tree it came from would have been growing while the events of the Bible were going on. This 2,000-year-old seed was planted and actually sprouted in 2005. The idea of orthodox seeds has incredible implications for crop storage in preparation for any future global crises. And the date palm produces a significant amount of these fruits. They are born in these massive bushy clusters at the tops of the tree, and in a given year, a single tree can produce 200 pounds of fruits. But let's back up a second. I usually cover fruits last, so let me give you a good picture of what the tree that produces them looks like. You can probably picture for yourself what a palm tree looks like, but here are specifics. The trunks of these trees can grow to be around a foot or 30 centimeters thick. They are relatively slow-growing plants, but in the wild they can potentially reach up to 80 feet or 24 meters tall. These trees start producing fruits at around 5 to 8 years old, depending on the method of reproduction. And reproduction for these guys is a whole thing, more on that in a second. The leaves of the date palm, concentrated also at the top of the plant, are these big, green, floppy fronds. Not too different from any other palm frond, but when palm leaves are talked about in the Bible, Torah, or Quran, it's these leaves specifically that they are referring to. You know, like with Palm Sunday and stuff. One interesting feature of these leaves is that along the palm leaves' stalks, there are a bunch of stabby spines. So you have to either cut them off or be careful about how you hold them, or you'll be in for an ouch. The flowers of the date palm kind of look like stalks of wheat growing out of the top of the tree. This is where reproduction gets tricky. Date palms are dioecious, meaning that there are male trees whose flowers produce pollen and female trees whose flowers take in the pollen and produce the actual date fruits. The primary method of date palm pollination is wind pollination, which is not always the easiest thing for producers to control. And with this method, the tree needs to be a little bit older for it to happen. But there are other, more hands-on reproduction methods. Date palms are also known for producing offshoots, additional trunks that sprout from the base or just above it. If left alone, this would give the plant a more clustered appearance, but planters will carefully remove these offshoots and replant them. These offshoots will then grow up as their own individual tree and even produce more offshoots for the process to be repeated. And these offshoots apparently reach fruiting age earlier than those planted from seeds. Farms may have a single male tree among dozens of female trees to ensure proper fruit production, 
but more often they'll just take these offshoots off of the female trees to make new individuals. Now, where exactly do date palms come from? We often think of palms in association with tropical regions, perhaps near a beach or in a jungle. This palm tree is more accustomed to hot, arid locations like deserts. In regards to its exact geographic region of origin, that is up for debate. Anytime we see a plant get cultivated by humans for thousands of years, it gets tough to say where we cultivated it from. Some argue it came from North Africa, others say the Middle East, and some even go further east to where modern-day India and Pakistan are. The answer may lie in DNA sequencing. Through looking at the genetics of our modern domesticated date and comparing them to older wild species, scientists have found an interesting connection, namely that our modern date palm is closely enough related to separate wild species in both North Africa and in South Asia to suggest an ancient hybridization between the two may have led to the date that we know today. But did this hybridization occur on accident where their ranges overlap? Or was this hybridization intentionally done by early humans? And if it was done by humans, where? While this plant's origins are still shrouded in mystery, their impact on early human civilizations is not. For as long as the date has been cultivated by humans, it has also been revered by them. There are a variety of sources that suggest how early and where dates were first cultivated, but the general idea was that it was done by extremely early humans. These different sources rely more on archaeology than anything, analyzing and dating fruit remnants and old human dwellings. The agricultural revolution, which we consider to have brought about the inception of modern humans, began roughly 10,000 years ago, and dates were likely one of those first human-driven crops. Written language and history unfortunately don't date back that far, only 5,000 years in comparison. Our earliest evidence of written language comes down to the clay tablets used in ancient Mesopotamia, modern-day Syria, Jordan, and Iraq, and are dated back to around 3100 BCE. In these earliest of written languages, the date is mentioned as a part of trade laws, marriage ceremonies, and more. On top of that, experts of ancient languages have identified the words used to describe the date tree and its fruit to come from a language that predates the Sumerian Empire. The Sumerian Empire started 6,500 years ago, and these fruits being a part of human language and culture is something apparently even older than that. From there, we see the significance of the date persisting throughout language, art, and artifacts across ancient cultures. From Sumer, to Babylon, to Assyria, to ancient Egypt, and a bunch of other lesser-known societies in between. The carrying of the date's cultural and religious significance takes us all the way up to the Abrahamic religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Each faith is centered around the same historic events and people, but with different interpretations. Thus, when it comes to the symbolism of the date palm, each religion has slightly different views of it. Let's start with the oldest of the three, Judaism. Jewish symbolism surrounding the date palm can be connected to themes of fertility and prosperity. 
which is pretty consistent with how the tree is viewed across those earlier cultures. The Hebrew word for the date is Tamar, and in the days of the Torah, this was a relatively common woman's name, suggesting a feminine association with the tree. In fact, that woman's name still floats around. It's the base for the modern name Tamra, often shortened to Tammy. More often than not, mentions of the date palm in the Torah allude to it representing prosperity or victory, and I attribute this to the widespread association of such themes with evergreen plants in general. Across multiple cultures and multiple plants, people celebrate the victory that is leaves staying green at the same time other plants go into dormancy. There's also the victorious aspect of a living thing that provides delicious food existing in the otherwise inhospitable desert. The tree's presence in the desert also lends to why it is so heavily featured in multiple Jewish celebrations. As an example, for the tree new year at the end of winter, the date is listed as one of these seven species, these seven kinds of plants that scouts brought back from Israel as evidence of the land's fertility. So in this instance, the fruit carries more of that fertility symbolism. Side note here, because I'm not covering this from an next Tubishvat episode in February. Israel being referred to as the land of milk and honey suggests how the land will provide for the Jewish people in the means of sustenance. Milk is for the livestock and dairy milk they produce, but it is a common misconception that honey, in this phrase, is the stuff that bees produce. There is a nectar or syrup that is extracted from dates that is called date honey. That is the honey this term references. Considering that there are six other plant species that represent sustenance in Israel, it's incredibly telling that date honey was the specific product chosen to represent a sustaining land as a whole. It's also the only plant species to be a part of Tubishvat, as well as this Sunday's Jewish holiday, Sukkot, although its symbolism presents a little differently. Sukkot commemorates the 40 years that Jews lived in the desert before coming to the promised land that is Israel. During this time, they lived in temporary structures known as a sukkah or known as booths. And similar to Tubishvat, Sukkot is associated with the four species, commonly considered to be the citron, the myrtle, the date palm, and the willow. These four plant species represent a number of different things in different contexts. The four-letter name of God, four different aspects of existence coming together, the bounty that God provides, etc., each individual species can represent multiple things as well. Sometimes the date palm exemplifies those who stand upright like the tree and embody righteousness. Sometimes it refers to the follower who studies the Torah well, but fails to practice what is written in the commandments. I can also see symbolism of shelter and protection with the date palm in the actual context of the holiday, as it is the palm frond, not the fruit, that is used in celebrations. Date palm fronds are the material most commonly used when constructing the roof of a sukkah or temporary structure that people still make in Sukkot celebrations to this day. It is shade, protection from the heat and other elements. This importance given to the frond is also prevalent in the story of Palm Sunday, although I more typically see this story associated with Christian celebrations leading up to Easter. The story of Palm Sunday has a number of variations, but generally consists of Jesus' return to the city of Jerusalem with a reception of people waving palm fronds or placing them along his path. In this context, the palm frond carries that symbolism of victory, likely associated with the tree being an evergreen as I mentioned earlier. 
In the modern day, this interpretation is often connected with the Easter story, as it would be a week after his return to Jerusalem that Jesus' resurrection would occur. Victory of life over death. But in the context of Jesus' entrance to the city as a standalone event, some theologians and historians would more readily tie the palm's victory symbolism with the idea of political victory. At the time of the New Testament, the Roman Empire had control of Israel. While there were, of course, people who followed Jesus under the belief of him being the Son of God, others followed him with the idea that he would lead the Jewish people against the Roman oppressors for the sake of an independent Jewish ethnostate. This is why he is described as the King of Jews, whereby welcoming him back with palm fronds was with hope of him leading them to political victory. The third and final major Abrahamic religion that honors the date palm is the Islamic faith. Mentions of the date in the Quran typically allude to its connection with prosperity as well as femininity. Some Muslim stories refer to the date palm as our paternal aunt, this coming from their version of the creation of Adam. It is said that Adam, the first man, was created from the earth, but God, Allah, had some dirt left over when he was done. So he planted that dirt, and it grew into the first date palm. And like any good auntie, she keeps us fed. Early Islam up until the 14th century was well known for how it invested in the advancement of science and our understanding of the world. I believe that it is because of this that their symbolic views of the date are closely tied to the health benefits of the fruit. Dates are high in sugar but also fiber, so eating less of them can actually help you feel full longer. They are calorie dense and thus make for good sustenance, but are also loaded with vitamins and minerals that help with numerous organ functions. For example, dates are a significantly more potassium-rich food than bananas, which, in the United States at least, are considered to be the poster child food for potassium. We get all this symbolism from how the date is used, at a basic level for food and shelter. But throughout history, the date is famous for its many, many uses. There is this long Persian song that lists out 360 uses for the date palm. The Parthians, descendants of the ancient Persians, also have a song about the uses of the date palm, but it is presented as a verbal contest between the tree and a goat, essentially a 2,000-year-old rap battle about which of them is more useful to humans. The date palm starts the battle, picking this fight with the goat to boast about how much better it is and just launches into a list of its uses. It provides, of course, delicious fruit, but also planks for boats and masts for sails. It is made into brooms and fans and ropes, ropes that tie the legs of the goat, by the way. It is used to make boxes that carry medicine around the world. It is fuel for fires. Its high boughs shade people from the sun. It is all these things and so many more that I do not have time to list out in full. The goat hears all this and just starts slinging insults right back. It tells the tree how it was stupid to start this fight and will be filled with shame when it hears what the goat has to say. It calls the tree tall and useless, resembling a demon, and considering how the reproduction of palms go, probably a courtesan's offspring. <gasps> the goat, on the other hand, has uses abound, and these uses are significantly more valuable. It is the holy thing that is sacrificed in ceremony. It carries heavy gear for humans, the saddlebags made from its own body. 
Its body is also made into skins that hold water, what actually keeps people cool in the desert, as well as bowstrings and clothing. It provides delicious meat, and its milk is made into cheese and pastries. When a goat comes to market, no one approaches lest they have at least ten drum, while mere children buy dates for two coppers each. The author of the song weighs in at the end, declaring the goat the winner of the rap battle, just before explaining how incredible his song is and how great anyone is who sings it themselves. And while the date palm didn't seem to come out on top in this instance, I have no plans to change this podcast name to My Favorite Goats. While so much in Middle Eastern culture revolves around the date, it does see some action in Europe thanks to the Mediterranean trade routes of the Phoenician merchants. This is how the date would get to Greece, and where we see the Greeks giving it the name Phoenix after the merchants who introduced them. And just like what had been happening in their home region for centuries, we see the date palm taking roles in prominent religious stories of classical antiquity. The twins Artemis and Apollo were the children of Zeus and the goddess Leto. One story goes that when Leto was giving birth to Apollo, she clung to the base of a date palm tree for support. And because of that, Apollo has historically been associated with that tree. Which makes sense considering his association with the sun and the date palm's association with the hot desert. Some theories even suggest that Apollo, as a Greek and Roman god, was actually an inspiration from an older Middle Eastern god who was also connected with the date palm. Apollo's association with the date palm is carried to ancient Rome with the date itself. Pliny the Elder, a famous Roman philosopher, wrote about the quality of the fruit and its health benefits that would later be expanded on by early Muslims. But while the Roman Empire spread, we don't see the date palm spreading with it like we do with other important crops, as it only does well in warmer climates. And so the date palm doesn't extend past the far southern coasts of Europe until Spanish explorers take it to the New World in the 1700s. This is where we first see it planted in warm, arid places like Mexico, but it wouldn't be well established as a crop in the Americas until the early 1900s. This was thanks to a new task force created by the U.S. Department of Agriculture known as the Agriculture Explorers. I'm not kidding. Our government made a group of people whose job it was to travel to far-off lands and bring back exotic foods from the world over to see if they could be grown here. This is how we got the mango, the avocado, new varieties of citruses, and now the date palm. These explorers first studied date palm production in the North African country of Algeria, but failed to make a viable crop from just planting the seeds. They learned that they needed to take offshoots from the palm and plant those. While Southern California seemed like an ideal place for these desert-loving palms, the agricultural explorers had a bit of trouble getting the offshoots all the way there. You see, these offshoots that you remove from the base of the tree have to be a certain size before they can be planted, and so each one can end up weighing around 60 pounds. Paul and Wilson Papineau, the explorers who made it happen, described trying to transport 9,000 of these offshoots while fighting off foreign diseases and straight up getting shot at by locals. And that was just while they were trying to get them to the port. The sea voyage home involved losing many offshoots to a bad storm that washed them overboard, and then having to trade valuable items to buy enough fresh water to keep these trees alive. But eventually, they made it all the way to Southern California. 
The United States was overjoyed to receive the date crop because our culture in the early 1900s was obsessed with Arabic culture. To us, the Saharan and Arabian deserts were the centers of exotic fascination. It's why stories like Lawrence of Arabia and Ben-Hur were massive hits. And the date was an absolutely iconic symbol of these dreamy exotic lands, of the markets of Marrakesh or the Great Pyramids of Egypt. Southern California, itself an arid desert, became a hotspot for date production as it leaned in on capitalizing on this obsession. Everywhere you went in the desert southwest, you would find countless date stands and stores selling it as much as, or more than, any other produce. There were multiple festivals celebrating the date harvest with representations, or at least certain interpretations, of Arabic culture being a heavy part of those celebrations. But there's a reason why dates are not, to this day, seen as an iconic fruit snack across America. Major events in the 1970s and 1980s, like the oil embargo and the Iran hostage crisis, completely changed our perception of the Arabic world from one of fascination to fear and hate. And considering how significantly tied the date is to Arabic culture, our fascination with this fruit went away as well. But dates are still grown aplenty in the deserts of California, just not on such a massive scale. I still remember the first time I learned what a date was. I was nine years old and my family was moving from Los Angeles, California to Phoenix, Arizona. I remember stopping at a gas station somewhere in the middle of the desert and we went into the store or restaurant that was there. My dad had us all get date milkshakes and I was so confused about what it was I was eating. I don't think I liked the taste very much. But looking back, I find it incredibly poetic that we stopped to enjoy the fruit that the Greeks named Phoenix while moving our lives to the city of the same name. While we in the United States have lost our taste for it, the date remains utterly inseparable from the cultures of the Middle East, North Africa, and the surrounding regions. In 2020, nearly 10 million tons of dates were produced worldwide, the centers of production being Egypt, Saudi Arabia, and Iran. Of all the things the date has meant throughout history, it can also be said that it represents connections. Connections across time with its symbolism carried from early to modern humans. Connections across culture as an integral part of interesting and exotic lands. Or simply the connections we make when sitting down to a meal together. Whether you are Jewish and celebrate Sukkot or not, I hope this weekend you can make it to the grocery store and find some dates. Eat them plain, or in a fun dish, or in a milkshake, and appreciate how this one tree can, in fact, bring us prosperity. Sukkot is not the only holiday in October, though. The end of this month brings us the spookiest of celebrations with Halloween. And historically speaking, forests have long been places where shadowy things gather, where demons and witches do their dark work. Over the next two weeks, I'll be working on my best impression of a horror audio drama narrator so I can deliver to you the scariest stories to happen in the woods. Come back on October 18th to hear about the deadliest trees and the history of haunted forests, if you dare. I want to thank all of you for listening to this podcast. If you have the time, leave a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to help us grow. 
The music is by Academy Garden. You can find more of their awesome stuff at academygarden.bandcamp.com. My cover art is by at Boomerang Brit on Instagram. My script editor and social media manager is the wonderful Lori Hilburn. Find me on Twitter and Facebook at My Favorite Trees or on Instagram at Tree Podcast. And if you'd like to thank me back, you can do so by donating to your favorite sustainable organization, some of which are listed on my website, mftpodcast.com. Now, go find a tree that you love and give it a hug. <laughs>